Are you trying to make bigger profits in your small business? Like many of us, I'm sure you're feeling it. Business is hard. Now more than ever, you need to have a plan to help your business not just survive, but thrive. I'm Marcia Reiner. I'm a business strategist on a mission, and I've helped tons of small business owners to establish and implement a tangible plan that guarantees sustainable profitability and guide your growth. I want to share some strategies that I've earned and learned with you on today's Profit with a Plan podcast. I'm super excited to have my guest today, international sensation, uh, Sydney Wong. Sydney Wong is an author and uh, entrepreneur, and she's been helping business owners to find capital in a time where you know they may not know exactly what to do. Her company, Venture X, has been helping small business owners and entrepreneurs to get that capital, and she does it in a very unique way. She's also been bringing transparency into the industry. She's been innovating uh, and defining the gap in the market. You know, there's that bank and the investors, and then where do we all turn? So she's been helping us with that. And she's also revolutionized the startup benchmarks. Her company, Venture X, is a Google Analytics and an angel list. So we're super excited to have Canadian expert Sydney Wong with us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for uh, for sticking with me with all the technology issues we had in the first <laughs> first few minutes, but we're we're kicking through on this. So one of the challenges that that I know that business owners have in in this time is that they're they've they've used all of their savings and and funding to get the business to a certain level, maybe a hundred thousand or a couple hundred thousand. And in order to scale and go to that next level, they need to look for other funding, investments, SBA loans, whatever it is. Can you tell us how that we should prepare? to get our business ready to, to go out looking for those type of investments? Yeah, that's a really great question. So as an angel investor, we do get that all the time because there's a lot of you know misconceptions and myths about what is it that we really do. So uh, d- it doesn't really matter kind of what kind of business you are. This goes for all businesses that are looking for capital. You really have to ask yourself, you know, what is it what is it that um, I need the money for? How much do I need? And why am I choosing this particular grantor or funder or um, bank that I'm choosing? So make sure that it actually does part. It does go with your industry and your type of business. Not everybody's going to be a good match. However, I very much advise do not go with a spray and pray method. Don't just apply to everything and everyone and hope that it makes sense. You really have to come up with a preparation plan for your business and why, you know, this is going to be a good partner for you. I love that. I'm all about planning. So having that preparation plan, you know, um, when we're, when we're going out and looking for an investment, it's, it's not like your home mortgage where you're just going out and looking for the best rate. I love it that you say that you've got to have um, the investor or the grantor line up with your business. They've got to have that understanding of what you're doing and you'll get much better responses if you, if you look that path, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of more like, um, if you're applying to different universities or scholarships or those kinds of things. So it's like you're applying for those things that have specific criteria, 
that has to then match your business. It has to match your business industry, whatever revenue level you're, that you're making. And it also has to match, you know, the kind of person that you want to work with, right? So whether it's going to be um, a, a, you know, venture debt or venture capital or angel investment or bank loan, you really have to want to work with these people because they're going to be there for the long haul for the most part. Mm. That's a good point. You brought up four different categories of four different types. Would you mind explaining a little bit about what each each one um, has their benefits and maybe ones that you should shy away for for certain reasons? Sure. Yeah. So um, the first one is a regular bank loan. So for regular bank loans, um, you know, these are very much more conservative and traditional loans. They're probably the first ones to ever give you loans. And so they are very into traditional types of businesses, like um, either their restaurants or brick and mortar shops or mom and pop shops. So these kinds of shops that are um, much less tech sector related and more into the local community, small businesses, small, medium sized businesses. And of course, corporations are allowed to to have, you know, their variety of different kinds of loans. So um, these ones, if you don't already have an established business, you do have to have a great credit score personally. So uh, that is very different in Canada and the U.S., but at the same time, they kind of see them as, you know, a credit score is a credit score. It's great to, to have a high one and it's really easy to lose, right? So whatever right. you do in your, in your personal life, just make sure that, you know, Understand that when you're going for your first business loan, if your business doesn't make consistent revenue levels, then they're going to turn to your credit score and probably make you personally liable. So those are the pros and cons. Um, it does really depend on your industry. And, um, you know, it's really great for people that are, you know, into the community and, and building things for local services and businesses. Um, and then the next one is um, venture debt. So venture debt is um, also a type of debt, and sometimes they also take equity in your company, so they may take shares in your company, um, but they are primarily there to give you um, loans as well, but the loans are from more private individuals and sometimes corporations. And so the rates may be different than a traditional bank loan. You may get better rates than a traditional bank loan. So that's great. And it may be way faster to get. However, they if they do ask for capital, then you do have to, sorry, if they do ask for shares, then you do also have to be careful and see them as more of a partner than something as temporary as a bank. Because that would mean that they're probably going to be on, you know, sitting on your 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 voting board or sitting on, um, you know, whichever kinds of of voting and uh, decision making process that your company has forever for the life of your company. Wow. Um, and so even if it's just a money injection for a short period of time, you know, this could be there for the they could be there for the long haul. And they can also uh, renew their debts, right? So you may want um, a renewal for the next year when you're having more employees come in, or you need to buy that extra piece of machinery, or you know, for R and D team and those kinds of things. So that's also good and bad too. You have those kinds of choices to make. And then what we do is angel investment. So these are individuals, and they could also be funds that come together. Uh, usually, it's for early stage entrepreneurship um, when you are just starting out for it, it, you know, with young companies. Um, for us, it is early stage. So our um, our raise is usually looking at between like five hundred thousand to two million kind of a thing, and we um, do target U.S. and Canada for MentorX Capital and our angel fund. Um, and then we like to work with venture 
capital uh, funds, which are more, much higher levels. So these would be uh, broken down into different series. So they would be a pre-seed, seed, series A, series B, series C. All of this just talks about the stage of your company. And it also talks about the amount you're usually raising. And um, of course, the higher the letter is, the more money that you're raising. So as angels, we like to look at the leads of venture capital because our shares only become more valuable if they are going to be raising again and if the company is going to be successful. So we need to always look at the leaders of our industry, which are usually the venture capital investors, to lead the way of being like, okay, AI is going to be really big this year, or biotech is going to be really big this year. Apparently pharma is going to be really big this year. So, you know, you know these right. are the kind of things that are, um, what is what is going to be the next big thing, what is going to be highly invested in, um, and um, how, how easy would it be for these companies to close the rounds and fundraise again, and uh, so on and so forth. And these ones, the difference is that they don't give you loans with interest rates. They only give you straight capital with a percentage of shares and they will be your partners forever as well. So ah, that was my next question. So angel investing becomes forever partners as well. Usually. Yeah. You can do like an investor buyout on some special cases, um, but they're usually there for, until you are exited. So either a mergers and acquisition or an IPO exit or Interesting. one of the, one okay. of those. So, so it sounds like, um, the angel investor and the venture capital are the angel investor step one for the, the startup, the early stages, and then the venture capital goes up from there. So it's very similar right. in, in that avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that's a big aha for me. I didn't realize that you take an ownership stake in the business and you're there forever. Yeah. Um, uh, I know that um, uh, like I worked on a, a project with a company that was um, fundraising to buy a piece of equipment but it had an exit to it. So is that completely unusual to have an exit um, for the investors that over a period of three years, I'm going to make my capital plus my interest back and then I walk away? Um, is that ever ever an option in these kind of uh, lending opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. So these can definitely be um, options. And so depending on who is already on the decision-making board, they can say yes or no to these kinds of investments coming in. Um, Personally, I think that having all different kinds of investment terms is favorable um, just because you want to be able to have like a variety of flexible options available to you. But these ones that I've just explained are just more the the standard ones that are happening right now. And going into 2021, there may be new changes as well. Interesting. Yeah. It's always an ever-changing market. How is the, um, how's the qualifying for getting the venture type or the angel type vesting versus the the um the bank because the bank has that traditional it's your business credit and if you if your business credit isn't stable enough then they go after the personal guarantees and so you really have to raise both things up how how challenging is it to get investments um from the alternative world yeah so that's a great question so we for example focus on tech we actually don't have a lot of biotech for a very specific reason, is because it's very difficult to prove that your your um, biotechnology is going to work, that your a pharmaceutical is going to work, and that it's not going to be crushed by the competition. And we don't have experts on our team that specializes in this field. 
So that is a really big reason why we invest in certain silos that we do is because we have technology experts that only um, are able to help us vet how good the product is. But it's not really just about the product. It really is about their profitability plans and projections, right? So we at VentureX have our technology software, uh, which is the, the progress tool, and we vet their financial runway. How are they doing financially? Are they financially healthy and sound? How they spend their money is how they're going to spend your money. So that is a really great correlation that we show all of our investor partners that are also on the VentureX tool. The other ones are um, con uh, conversion rates, which is how you're converting your leads into sales. So this is talking about all different kinds of ways to convert into sales. Even if you don't have sales, you can have promises of purchase. You can have letters of intent. You can have a Kickstarter campaign. I actually have gotten a um, million dollars for a video game company here in Montreal who was wildly successful with a Kickstarter campaign that was five days old. They got $25,000 for making a video of a video game. And then with that proof that they were doing so well, I was able to help them get the next million. So these are the kinds of things that show, hey, people really love what we do. It's okay that you're not in video game, but you probably understand enough that this is a huge amount of, you know, people putting out their money, just like everyday people. That's what Kickstarter is, right? Like your, your friends and neighbors, really what it is. And they're like, we really want to buy this product. We really want to buy this game. We're going to put money down, even if it's $50 and the actual game costs, like, let's say $200. So these are the kinds of things that are showing proof that there's traction. And um, so that's really important when it comes to your conversion rate, how well you're converting into sales. If you already have sales and you have monthly reoccurring sales, that is even better because it shows a better profitability pattern. And then the last part is engagement. So this really is more of a, a tech thing where you have um, usage and retention. How often are your customers signing back on and coming back to your business, using it again? And how are they using your, your product or your service, right? So these are the kinds of things that um, as a blend, we try and focus on and we try and see, you know, even at the early stages, how are they hitting all of these benchmarks and are they doing better than their industry average or not? And we're able to then see um, in a very quick kind of snapshot way, um, what these businesses are about, how are they doing? Is it matching what they say versus what they can prove? Love it. It's, this is, this is super interesting because it's not the brick and mortar normal way of doing it. And yeah. you're looking at this alternative solution. Now, when it comes to financial strength, it's, it's, it's really, truly what's, what's on the books. Right. And, and I love your analogy. If you're spending your own money this way, you're going to spend our money that same way or probably worse. So, uh, you know, having those, um, having that benchmark in there, but it's interesting because even, even, um, a consulting firm or a, uh, an attorney or a chiropractor or, um, a software developer can all use these pieces, this, the conversion rates on how you're showing that you're getting your next client or next set mm -hmm. of clients in. And then um, I think that that's, that's, that's a piece or a tool we should all be working on on our business, whether we're looking for investment pieces or not. But I like that that's a, a benchmark or a measurement of your potential ability to repay that investment. 
And then um, engagement can be across many things. You know, not not every company has a a reusable product. That's right. Or a, a re-upped or a membership type platform that they would buy in there. So if if that, I know you're specifically, you know, tech world, but can you imagine or can you explain maybe if there's another engagement model, if it's not retention's important, but if it's if it's only like um, you know, I guess I guess not, because attorney might be one and done, right? Because, you know, if you go in for a criminal case or you go in for a DUI or you, you know, unless you're in a, you know, business uh general practice, you know, where you're consulting over a period of time. Um, what else can we use in that engagement to strengthen our business? Yeah. So one of the bonus marks that you get within engagement is, you know, if people can get there, which would be amazing, is actually um, customer success rate, which is based on um, referrals. So is your customer so happy with what you have provided them that they would love to tell five other friends about it? Or maybe they're just going to keep it quiet. So you have to really have wowed your first hundred, your first thousand customers to the point that they want to talk about you and they want to refer more people to you. If they're having this problem and it's a problem that you solved really well, then of course they would love to talk about you to other people who they know have had this problem as well. No, that's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So, um, when you, when you're, when you, say we've met these benchmarks and we're out there, we've found a company, um, angel investors possibly that want to invest in our company. How intrusive do they get into my business um, in the qualifying process? Um, yeah, so you really have to be careful about who you're talking to, uh, what their reputation is, and you know ways to protect yourself. So it is a it is very gray area for sure. They can go as far as let's say calling up your clients and customers to really ask, are you happy with uh, what they're providing? Yes or no? Can you give me some feedback? Um, and then. That's something that you have to also be careful of too, right? Because what if they only chose the customers that are your first few customers and it wasn't right. even close to the product that you have right now? That's very possible. And it doesn't even do the same things. So that's possible. Another way is um, they could, like, they really do want to test the relationship you have with your co-founders. So who on your team, um, you know, uh, are, are, are the experts in their field and how are they the experts in their field and how do you guys work together? Have you worked together for a long time? Yes or no. Um, but as much information as you feel comfortable providing is great. Of course, um, if they have already, and this is something you can find online, if they've already invested in your competitor, you might not want to provide so much competitive information oh. about why your product has the secret sauce. You know what I mean? But at the same time, they are allowed to ask for it. So it's really up to you to really balance that negotiation. Great points. Great points. So when we're talking about um, financials, do they want three years? Do they want one year? Um, are they going to look at bank statements? Um, you know, what what are they looking for in the financials that when, you know, when they ask? That, that's a great question. So um, we have something called uh, QuickBooks, which is an API that does plug into our uh, VentureX tool. So then you actually don't have to worry about putting things in all of the time, right? But they would only kind of draw a red flag if, let's say, you drew out an extraordinary amount of money and then went into like the negative for one whole month. So those are the kinds of things that would like draw red flags in terms of your financials. Um, but for the most part, it, in on the flip side, it's really about your 
monthly reoccurring revenue? Is it going up at, you know, every, every two months, every month? Is it staying the same? If there's a dip, why is there a dip? or the annual reoccurring revenue, ARR. Um, so this would be in different kinds of businesses, like Airbnb would be an ARR type of business because people don't go on vacation every month. They probably go around the same time every year. Right. And, um, and they, were the, they will then be booking things on a yearly basis. And then it's kind of your job to see, well, the founder's job to see, um, is it the same people or roughly the same age group, roughly the same demographics, booking around these times every year for the same kinds of cities every year. And that is how, um, you know, you would normally do that. Interesting. Okay, good. So, um, all right. So we've talked about financials, conversions rates, engagement. Um, We've talked about different kinds of um, opportunity to raise capital. Um, What else should we know about as business owners in the ways to prepare for asking for capital? Yeah, so um, we have on our blog, which I can uh, send to you, it's blogadventurex.ca. So on our blog, um, we also have it on Medium as well. It is um, an entire data room file. So a data room are all of the documents that you actually need. So it's everything from the cap table to the business plan to the pitch deck, which is the PowerPoint version of the business plan. And, um, and then, you know, your, your customer agreements and your employee offer agreements and, you know, your employee kinds of contractual partnership type agreements. So these, a list of huge, you know, documents are actually all templated for you and they're free and available to you. So making sure that you are doing that at practice exercise where you fill all of these out, just for yourself, you'll be able to have a great snapshot of really where you're at and um, who is on your decision-making board. Why are they there? Should they be getting, you know, this much percentage? Um, and then who else is on my, on my board in terms of the investors? And, you know, are they able to provide me more opportunities in my industry in the future or the industry experts? Um, you know, these first few employees, why they're there and uh, what are they providing that no one else can provide? Do I have the strongest team I could have? So this is a really great way to one, prepare all of the documents you actually will need when you go into a room with any investor, but also be able to have an honest conversation with yourself and your team about where your business is at when you're looking for capital. Love it. Reminds me of Shark Tank. And I'm sure you've never heard that one ever, right? (laughs) That you're coming in and and you're presenting your pitch and you're saying, wow, this is the wonderful product service or widget that I have. And this is where I think it's going to go. This is where we have been. So it's getting all the documents that line all that up. Now, here's the question that um, I'm sure you've heard before. Um, What is the... um, What's that ratio that they that they always talk about? And you're saying, well, if I'm making you know three hundred thousand a year every year, and so I'm asking for a million dollars, you know, that's three three and a quarter times uh, the amount of you know your. Is there a magic ratio that you look at um, versus how much you're earning to how much you could ask for? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And honestly, there isn't a real way to calculate valuation in an appropriate way. Um, but have, being somebody who um, has clients in both the U.S. and Canada and as well um, was expanding into Asia uh, last year when I was do- speaking at Hong Kong FinTech Week, the things that I've learned is that it really actually depends on wh- where you're asking money from. <laughs> So, um, who like in, in Canada, we have a, a lot of companies and they do ask for less money 
than if you were in, let's say, um, Hong Kong or in the U.S. In the U.S., your valuations are much bigger. And um, that is also why there are some uh, colleagues, investor colleagues in the states that are looking to invest outside of the states because they find it to be too expensive now to invest in the states because of the way that the media is or the way that uh, the culture is, is much more, you know, higher valuation, but not as much profit. So they don't find that ratio to be as fair as if they were to invest in other places, which is actually why we're getting so many partners, because we're getting a lot of requests for that reason. Um, and then then in, in Asia, there will be either the, the huge extremes. You're going to ask way too little that we can't even possibly entertain that amount because it's way mm -hmm. too little. Or you would ask for an outrageous amount and then one investor would fight to have all of it. So they would want no other investors in the round. So wow. those are very extremes. And these are all very different um, different ways that you would see the same thing. And you can have just as great companies in Australia or Canada or the US, but they would all be at different valuations. So it's, it's really up to how savvy you are or how resourceful you are to partner up with the, with the right people. Excellent. Wow. It sounds like that there's opportunities for investing as well. If you've got a little bit of capital, you can go in and become part of a of a group of investors that buy these investments. Um, yeah. I've had uh, I've had guests on that that talk about investment uh, opportunities as well. So um, it's good. So okay, so there's no real okay. So so you you answered it kind of vaguely, but is there like a two to one, three to one? Um, is there what's kind of the bottom benchmark and what's kind of an average benchmark for that evaluation? Um, versus so that income. Is, yeah. So that part is really difficult. Like if you have a small market and then saying that like a small market, meaning in the millions of people, like that's really small, but your ratio is like one to 10, like you're, I don't know, hundred thousand in revenue, but you are going to 10 exit for the valuation that you think your company is worth. Then that is probably crazy because you, you know, that you can't actually sell to hundred percent of the market. You're probably going to sell to like 5% of the market. And that's like super generous for right. a company, right? You're, you know, and um, like Google does not sell to hundred percent of their market. <laughs> so why would you? And so it's that kind of a thing that it does depend a lot on uh, what market that you're in um, that would determine which ratio is really fair. No one's going to choose one-to-one, -one, but <laughs> choosing right. one to 10 for a small market makes no sense. Choosing that for a huge growing market, that's okay. Um, I think gotcha. something like Uber is one to 60. Wow. Yeah, because they're counting okay. all the cars that ever exist in the world. Gotcha, yeah. Their growth rate is faster than anybody else in their industry, you know? Okay. So is their technology better than their competitors? No, no. Same thing. I, I, yeah, when I took Uber in California, uh, when it was first coming out, they could not find where I was, no matter how good my GPS was. They were always on an overpass. I don't know right. why. So was their technology better? No. Is it getting better than faster than anybody else? Yes. And are they growing faster than anybody else? Yes. But they're not changing the number of cars that exist in the world. So it, then it's up to the investors to say, okay, one to 60, is that fair? Right. Right. Interesting. So, so when we're asking, um, so say we, say we have a, a one to three or okay. a one to five, we'll, we'll, you know, round it and say, you know, two times what we're, what we're asking for. Um, what kind of, what kind of expectation in the ownership percentage would that come in back? 
or come back uh, with. Yeah. So that is a lot more standard when it comes to, especially in uh, Canada and most places in the U S where, um, about, um, 15 to 20% is pretty average actually for all of the rounds. And the reason it's, it's like that is because actually you get diluted in every round. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you were the first, um, you know, ones that were uh, investing in Uber or Skype or, you know, Microsoft, then you got diluted every time they raised more money and they're expecting that. So as angel investors that are early on, you know, we are expecting to be diluted every single round as you're raising more and more money. And so having that standard ish amount for this uh, for, you know, uh, every single stage is fine. But what you were seeing on uh, Shark Tank or in Canada, Dragon's Den, also started by Kevin O'Leary, I think. Um, he's from Montreal, too. Okay. So, um, so what happens there is, like, of course, you can ask for, for any amount in terms of the ownership and the stake. Um, but then you take on some responsibility to either find investors for this company, you as the investor, or you will be reinvesting in all of these rounds you know, for purchase orders or for new equipment, new technology, more staff. So then um, the risk and the uh, risk becomes for the investor, too, because, you know, they become they become a a, a viable portion of the ownership and therefore they're taking on the risk of all the other investors coming in. Yes, exactly. So they can't (laughs) just, you know, let the company be in the negative um, if they're the only investor at like 40% or 60%. But if you are, you know, those normal ones that are being diluted every round and you know that they are raising again, then it's not really up to you to, to reinvest. Of course you can, but you Mm -hmm. don't have to because you're going to be um, diluted every round. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the venture and the angel type investing. Um, I know that that's your wheelhouse, but um, is there anything that we should know about, um, maybe not going with the traditional banks or maybe taking traditional banks over the angel or or venture style investing? Yeah. So um, the funding, there's, there's alternative funding as well that have come up over the years that become really, really popular. So one of them that we talked about was the crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter. So if you do have them in your area, you want to test out your idea without actually putting a lot into it yet then I highly suggest those kinds of platforms, either Kickstarter or one of their competitors. GoFundMe is another one, Indiegogo, I think. Um, There's also crowdfunding for equity. So those are also everyday people. So you can just choose your family and friends if you really want to. And they'll all have like a minor stake in your company. And you're creating this online campaign, same way Kickstarter is. But at the end of it, um, they will get a percentage of your company and it's all the people that you know and the friends of friends or whoever it could be. It actually could be whoever. And, um, but the point is that these are more everyday people and they're not, you know, necessarily investors every single, you know, as their full time. Experienced or accredited investors. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So these are great alternatives, um, as well for any type of industry. You can do this. I think it's I think it's a um a, a neat idea. Um I, I, I think when you start getting into the crowdfunding, it could probably get messy because they're yeah. inexperienced and and so on. And you're inexperienced in the first place going that path. But I think that um it it, it just makes sense that if you're going to grow your business, you also want to quote sell stock in it. 
And yeah. that's what a public that's what publicly traded companies do. And therefore, once they shift from private to public, they now have to disclose certain things. And there's 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 challenges that come with it. But that's the trade off. Yeah of asking for money from someone to expand your business, whether it's Uncle Joe or um, or, or the angel investing um, uh, type world, that if you're asking for money, you have to open your kimono, you know, and you have to give a little bit of stake in it. So it becomes now your, your thinking like a publicly traded company, even though it's private investment. So it's the same kind of rules. You have to pay shares and dividends and part of your profits. And, and that's, that's all it is. It's, it's, it's the normal of business. It is. And actually like in a way for certain types of personalities, it could make you feel more motivated to, to aggressively accelerate your business because you want to make sure that um, everyone is happy. You want to make sure that your family and friends who've invested in you are proud of you and, um, and see that you're moving forward. And so um, all of these things could also in turn light a new fire inside you too. Right. And so one more little piece on here. Um, what about organizational structure? Uh, whether you're an LLC, a C-Corp, an S-Corp, um, uh, a, a sole proprietor, a partnership, do any of those have to be set in place prior to getting or going out and getting funding? So not really. Um, you can though, because like there are, of course, there are people who have definitely done it with just an idea and mm-hmm. that, that has happened before. Um, but it also does depend on when you are. Um, so there is a trick to, to getting certain grants and things like that too. So if there's a government grant or, or whichever, you have to be under a certain Time frame, so you have to be like less than two years old, less than a year old, and that counts in terms of when you've actually incorporated. So you may want to time it that way to get certain, you know, funding and money um, and and things like that there, where um, you would then qualify for these things and then incorporate it. But you can also look out for investments and uh, see if the investor is is asking you to incorporate first or not. But um, but all of that does depend. So you can definitely plan it out so you can maximize your chances because you don't have to run out and incorporate for no reason. That's not that's not the point. The point is to kind of see if you are building a viable business and therefore needs to go through steps, you know, X, Y, Z. Well, it just it just caught me in the in the shares and the in the type of stock and you know giving giving a portion or equity in your company yeah. that you want to have some legal structure and some legal yes. agreements in it and and if you're a sole proprietor and now you have these equity pieces you're no longer really a sole proprietor you become sure. a partnership where you're the the general partner and these people are limited partners only to the investment that they have so then it becomes kind of technical on that yeah. and so I was kind of going hmm yeah you know, where no, do we where do we go there. But you kind of want to see what you're really going to end up with, you know, because before you start jumping through burning hoops. Right. I gotcha. I gotcha. (laughs) This has been a great conversation. It's been very enlightening. Um, You know, I really didn't put two and two together on the angel side and the venture equity side that I'm actually going to have to have a lifelong um, relationship with this with the investors. But I think that it, and and then it shifted for me and said, "What? Well, wait a minute! This is this is the normal business on it. You can always buy them out or or have you know agreements in there. It's the normal trajectory of business. You start small, you grow, you grow your ownership, and eventually you you know go public. It's 
just the normal normal stage of a growing <laughs> business. So um, it makes makes a lot more sense. You made it uh, very enjoyable and simple. And where can listeners find out more about VentureX and and you, Sydney? Yeah, so I am available on LinkedIn. We host a webinar every uh, month or so to actually help um, startups with these kinds of things. I'm also very active on social media, or you can uh, shoot me an email at uh, sydney.wong at venturex.ca. Perfect, perfect. So listeners, thank you for uh, listening today. I hope you found an idea or two to put into your business now to prepare you for the future of things to come and to really consider using one of my favorite strategies, which is other people's money to help you become more profitable. Uh, So considering what's happened to businesses over the last year, now more than ever, it's important that you have your own profit plan in place so that you can have a thriving business. I've got six easy action tips that you can put into your business immediately so that you can see that impact. So go pick that up at failproofbiz, that's B-I-Z dot com, and pick up that free report. So Cindy and I would love to hear your questions, uh, any feedback, or even ideas for future shows. Please subscribe and comment on today's podcast. And as always, you can catch Profit With A Plan on any of your favorite podcast players. And we're looking for more great profitable information on next week's show. So until then, make your plans and profit with them. Thanks, Sydney. Thank you.